Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Okay, well, if you haven't done it yet, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, continuing on in our series in Hebrews on these Wednesday nights. You see the title of my message is TGIF, and I'll tell you what that means in a little bit. Uh, It does not mean what you may think it means, TGIF. Got a different F in there than Friday. So, but let's read Hebrews 11, uh, verses 23 to 40. It says, By faith Moses... When he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command, in this case, the king's command to kill all them babies, those Jewish babies. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward." By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Drowned. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, but others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, not the way people get stoned now, actually hit with rocks that hurt, you know. Uh, They were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God had having provided something better for us. We've been talking about them, but something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us, which is pretty cool to think about, T-G-I-F. Now, to understand this little story I'm about to tell you, you need to understand that among Roman Catholics, sometimes a priest that you go to for confession will tell you to, you gotta do a novena. And a novena is nine days of fasting and prayer to repent, right? So sometimes the in the confessional booth, they'll prescribe that. I'm not advocating it. I'm just telling you, you're not going to understand my har-har here in a minute if you don't know that. 
So let me tell you about Boudreaux. Every once in a while I tell a story about Boudreaux, who was a Cajun who lived deep in the swampy area of Louisiana. And he was feeling guilty, so he went to confession. He said, Father, I think you ought to know that I kind of took a little lumber from that new construction site a couple of weeks ago. The priest said, what did you do with the lumber, my son? And Boudreaux said, well, Father, my porch, she's had this big hole for a long time. I'm afraid someone will break their leg, so I fixed a hole. And the priest said, well, that's not so bad. And Boudreaux said, well, Father, I had a little lumber left. Well, what'd you do with it? Well, my poor dog, Fido, he ain't never had no place to get out of the weather, so I made him his own little doghouse. The priest said, oh, okay, anything else? And Boudreaux said, well, Father, I had a little lumber left. So you know my pick-em-up truck? She ain't never had no place to get out of the weather either, so I made her a two-car garage. And the priest says, well, this is getting a little out of hand. And the Boudreaux said, well, Father, I still had a little lumber left. And the priest said, yes. Well, my wife, she's always a wants a bigger house, so I add two bedrooms and a new bathroom. And the priest said, okay, Boudreaux, that's definitely too much. For your penance, you're going to have to make a novena. You do know how to make a novena, don't you? And Boudreaux said, well, no, Father, I don't. But if you got the plans, I got the lumber. <laughs> <laughs> You got the plans, I got the lumber. I wonder if Champ Anderson ever heard that a joke along the way. Probably so. Boudreaux in Louisiana. Well, the recap of our two messages so far in Hebrews 11, and I think I told you how much I love Hebrews 11, God's great hall of faith. Uh, and again, if I had to pick just 10 chapters out of the nearly 1,200 chapters in the Bible and say there's a top 10 chapter, I think I'd have Hebrews 11 in it. You know, it's, it's, it's a key, key, beautiful chapter. Uh, but if we could recap it, we'd use the word faith, and we'd say faith, this, this is not in your notes yet, faith is trusting, it was in your notes from the last couple weeks, but faith is trusting that a God you can't see is more important in your life than whatever you can see. Faith is believing that a promise made by God is a promise that will be kept by God. He'll keep every promise He's made in the Bible to the ones He made it to. Faith is also preparing in the present for that which may not be fulfilled until the future. And faith is also ordering your life according to these promises that God has given. Remember Hebrews 11.6, early in the chapter said, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a what of those who seek him? A rewarder of those who seek him. You got to believe he is. God is. God really is. He's really alive. He's out there. And he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. So as believers, we, are, uh, we have promises that have been given to us, some we experience in this lifetime, and some we will experience in eternity, but God will keep every one of them. So... Affirm the following after me, just you and God, but say it out loud if, if you believe it. God, I believe that you exist. Your turn. God, I believe that you exist. Okay, now I'm going to do this one. God, I believe that you'll reward me if I seek you. God, I believe that you'll reward me if I seek you. 
Here's the next one. God, I trust you to keep every promise that you've made to me. Ready? God, I trust you to keep every promise that you've made to me. And the last one of these is, God, I will order my life according to what I believe about you. God, I will order my life according to what I believe about you. And I gave you those on your notes, I believe. And so you'll, you might want to take those and put them on a three-by-five card and keep those with you. Start the next few days with them and just affirm those things back to God. On Sunday nights in the Psalms, we've been learning how often David would um, just, he just would, would, he would speak out the truths that he knew to be true even when he was frustrated. Uh, you know, so God, where are you? He'd start by dumping his prayer request to God. You know, God, it doesn't seem like you're around right now, but I know that you are. And he'd start going, he'd start preaching to himself. And then he would get up and go into the day with the full assurance that, uh, that God was with him as he went out. And I like that about David's uh, prayer life. It was robust like that. And we need to think like that too, you know, especially when uh, we um, experience hardships, you know. So faith chooses temporary suffering over temporary pleasure. So there's your fill in the blank. Verses 23 through 28, faith chooses temporary suffering over temporary pleasure. One of the things I like about the Bible, that I love about the Bible, is how honest it is. Sometimes we're not honest with others. Sometimes we're not very honest with ourselves, you know. And, um, but the Bible will always be honest with us. And in verse 25, the Bible does not deny that sin can be fun. It speaks of the pleasures of sin. A lot of preachers sometimes waste time, youth pastors do it too, by saying, you won't have any fun sinning. Well, this person sitting out there and going, I've had a lot of fun sinning, you know. Uh, but the Bible here is more honest than those preachers. It says here, there is certain pleasure in sinning. But what does it say about the pleasures of sin? Temporary, right? It's temporary. It's passing, it's temporary. And especially if God's working in your heart and life and you commit sin, then you feel guilty about it. You feel God's conviction about it. And uh, then you're sorry you ever got into it. We think of the little statement that's so good that says, sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will what? It will cost you more than you ever were willing to pay. And many of us have seen that come true and as part of our repenting over some sin. Sin has its enticing fun in your life for a season, and then it mocks you. Um, so I think how sin is the bait Satan uses to make you think you're missing something shiny in your life. One of my most uh, cherished books on my bookshelf is uh, a, a little Puritan paperback by the Banner of Truth people, and it's Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And it was written by Thomas Brooks in the 1600s. So this is an old book, but he says words there because they're from the scriptures that are relevant today as they were then. And he says Satan's first device is he's like a fisherman. Fisherman puts the hook out there, but he hides it, right? And so you see the enticing bait of temptation, but you don't see the hook. And you get in there and get to the bait in your mouth, and all of a sudden you've been hooked by Satan, you know, and he uses that too. Uh, the chase takes on a delight in your mind and in your members, and you finally, full of exhilaration, devour the shiny lore, and only as Satan is reeling you in do you understand the awful price of sin. Uh, the pleasures of sin are passing. Paying off what sin costs can become grueling. And some of you know 
what I'm talking about. I think all the people that, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they um, sometimes around Christmas time, you know, they'll put a whole lot of money on credit cards and then the bill comes due in January. Oh, we couldn't afford to have that big a Christmas, you know, but, and here we got this 20% interest or whatever. The person who got good grades by cheating, but now they've lost the respect of those who saw them do it. Um, or nobody saw it, but it's eating on their conscience. People that have had an affair, uh, but now they've lost their family. Um, and we can guarantee each other something about sexual sin from the Bible's perspective. The person who's known lots of lovers during their lifetime is not going to be more content on their deathbed than the one who waited and was loved deeply by the person that God had for them in marriage. Sin has its pleasures, but those pleasures are passing. But this verse says it's also uh, there's also something else that's temporary, and that's suffering. So Moses had the choice of Egypt's pleasures or identifying with the people of God. He came to understand as a young man, ooh, I'm one of them. Uh, I am, I've been raised in the court of Pharaoh. We don't know how much he remembered about, if anything, about the infant days. Uh, he may have remembered some of his mama's lullabies because remember, his sister rescued him and the one that got to nurse him for the first few years was his mama. And you wonder if he remembered any of the lullabies she'd sing to him and the, uh, uh, you know, the things that she spoke over him about God's covenant promises to Abraham and the Jewish people and the people of God. Um, but so he had that moment of crisis where he said, okay, I can either deny who I am as an Israelite uh, and experience all these funds at, at Nile Academy, you know, and all the things about being a prince of Egypt, uh, or I can identify with people. And you know how the story unfolded. He did identify with people. He chose that suffering. Um, he chose to do the right thing and identify with God's people rather than to enjoy sin. Moses knew both pleasure and suffering were temporary, so instead of doing what some of us here have done all of our lives where we choose the path of least resistance, Moses chose to do the right thing. And he, uh, that's why he's in the hall of faith. He had faith in God and God's promises. So God will keep his promises to us. Let's look again at verse 26 and 27. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He understood enough about Yahweh to know that he needed to do the right thing for God as a matter of faith. Verse 27, So by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses looked to the reward and the reward giver. Uh, not just what was in it for him, but long-term faith in God, even though it might not show up in benefit in the here and now. And I think about us, you know, uh, the great reality that for believers, this is the only hell-like conditions we'll ever know. After this life, it's only glory. Uh, for unbelievers, this is the only heaven-like experience they'll ever know. So having rejected God, no wonder they say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. They don't believe they'll ever have to stand before God. The Bible assures us they will. Appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Um, so... There's two other things we want to look at here in Hebrews 11, verses 31 to 38. When it comes to salvation, thank God it's faith. So there's your F, faith instead of Friday. And this list in 31 through 38, it includes some interesting characters. In listing them and speaking of the nameless, he's reinforcing what he's already said and we've already preached on. 
But the neat thing about this list is it gives sinners like you and I a lot of hope if we'll just put God first, repent of our sin, place our faith in Christ, keep Him first. Um, because when it comes to salvation and living the Christian life, thank God it's faith. And I'll share what I mean by that in a minute, but first we think about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Have you got those memorized? You probably did somewhere along the way. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of our works, lest anyone should boast, right? So by God's grace we're saved through, his through our faith, His grace, our faith, in Christ. That's why when I baptize, I say, have you been saved by God's grace alone, through your faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone? For the glory of God alone, we could add that. As we take a closer look at this list, uh, we thank God that it's by faith, and there's no room for boasting, because we're going to see that God often commended people to us in spite of some things we know about them. So sometimes we say, okay, yeah, I know they believe, but I remember what they did back then. <laughs> and the scriptures has that for some of these people, you know. And it assures us that God looks at us and he commends over all, even when there's some things that we're still maybe kicking ourselves about. Um, good news for people like you and me. You know, I love the Lord more than anything, but I often find myself in a situation where I need to be blessed in spite of my many shortcomings. And you probably feel that way too. Uh, you know, you know it's all about Jesus. You just wish you'd been a little bit more consistent in your uh, witness for Him. Um, and and you know, uh, I I feel that. You know, I I feel. Uh, you know, some sometimes people aren't shy. You can imagine. Um, both the uh, gosh, how long's it been now? Twenty four years of pastoral ministry. I'm about to start my twenty fifth year of pastor, senior pastor ministry. I did 10 years of student ministry before that. And I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but in those years, I've let some people down. I didn't live up to their expectations, you know. Uh, and somewhere in there, I had to come up with a theme for myself, you know, Danny, make sure you minister to people's needs, not their expectations, because some people have impossible expectations. But sometimes they had realistic expectations, and I blew it. I messed up. Uh, I'm far more devastated, though, by the way I fall short of my own expectations for myself. Can I get a witness? You know, it's one thing to have disappointed somebody else, but you go, you know what? I just expected more of myself, you know. And some people talk about why well, I can't forgive myself. The good news is God never called you to forgive yourself. Uh, he called you to realize who you've sinned against, God, and receive forgiveness from Him, and to humbly understand, yeah, I'm exactly the kind of person that would do that, you know, if left to my own devices. So in the future, I need to make sure I appropriate faith in God's direction rather than do that dumb thing again. So thank God that he commends us for our faith in spite of ourselves. So I'm just going to go down through this list here that's right here in the Scripture. And uh, we're going to see different people that God commended in spite of themselves in some areas. So by faith, God commended Moses in spite of his temper. And, you know, uh, he got into trouble there in Egypt, right? He smote a man. Uh, and uh, and uh, you get the impression. I remember one minister used to say, God looked down and saw Moses do that act of justice there when the uh, Egyptian was mistreating the Hebrew, and he said, I can use a man like that, you know. God used him in spite of his temper. He raised him up to be a great leader. We, see, we read about Rahab here, 
And by faith, God commended Rahab in spite of her sordid past. You know, she had a past that she wasn't too proud of uh, when God got a hold of her. But it's such a great story in the scriptures. You know, Rahab understood, hey, it's happening. Yahweh's coming to town. His people are going to take over. And I believe him. I believe that, that this could really happen. So I believe in Yahweh enough to help you guys not be killed by my countrymen. And just remember me. Do you remember what she did? They told her to do when they came back. What was she supposed to hang in the uh, window? A scarlet thread. And they'd know, okay, don't judge that house when we come in because she helped us. She kept us alive when they could have killed us. And so she did that great thing by faith. And um, uh, God forgave her past, you know. And do you know um, who's, uh, what great king of Israel is she in the line of? David, right, which also puts her in the line of Jesus. So if you open up to Matthew 1, you see her name there. And so God is far more concerned about by faith where you're going than where you've been and what you've done. And that's why you've heard me say it, but I love to say to people, they say, well, Danny, you don't know what I've done. They don't know what I've done. Say, but you don't know what I've done either, you know. But I know what God's done for you and what he's done for me, and it's greater it's greater. I love the verse in Romans where sin abounded, what a grace do. Abounded all the more. Now, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The King James says, God forbid. The Greek says, meganoito, which means may it never be, not may it be. Uh, no, we don't want to be presumptuous on God's grace, uh, but we want to be so thankful for it, you know, that God covers and God keeps us. By faith, God commended Gideon in spite of his skepticism. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd love to go back and read about um, things like this. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the, if the Lord is with us, remember the uh, angel came to him and said, Hail, the Lord is with you. And he said, If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our father told us about? <laughs> Doesn't look like God's with us. Looks like the Philistines are winning. Looks like we're a long way from that abundant life you promised, you know. And uh, God got a hold of Gideon, and it didn't take long to turn him around and him uh, be a great man of God who would listen when God told him to go against the enemy with impossible odds, right? 32,000 down to 10,000, down to 300, and God said, okay, now the only way you can win this is if I get the glory, and so let's go ahead, you know. And I fear sometimes we've already heard from God that we're supposed to act on something, and we just wait till, I mean, it wouldn't really be an act of faith to do it, you know? <laughs> and so let's keep the faith in there when God's asking us to do stuff. Well, by faith, God commended Barak in spite of his reluctance to lead. Do you remember that story from the book of Judges? So Barak was the leader. Uh, the judge, the ruler that God was going to use to deliver his people. Uh, but he was afraid. And Deborah, the prophetess, had to say to him, Go up, Barak, and God will give Sisera into your hands. And Barak, the courageous leader, said, Oh, I won't go up unless you go with me, you know. So he uh, was hiding literally behind the dress of uh, Deborah as they approached and went into the battle. Deborah said, okay, but since you're scared, a woman will do what you're afraid to do. Um, but so he led, they won. Sisera was killed by another woman. Do you remember her name? 
Jael, J-A-E-L. Great story, you know, where she uh, uh, has him come aside and gives him some warm milk. He takes a nap. What does she do? She says, I've got Saddam Hussein. I've got, uh, what was the other guy? Uh, Osama bin Laden. I got him right here in the tent. He drank the milk. He's falling asleep. This is public enemy number one. She took a tent spike and drove it through his head with a nail. And they sang a song about it because it was a great act of faith on her part. But the women led the way. And then Deborah and Barak sang a song together. And it said, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. And I just think that's so amazing. That's Judges 5-2 where they uh, sing that song and the circumstances there. But I just think that's amazing because uh, Hebrews 11 includes Barak, even though in that Old Testament story, uh, there was a lot of things about him that, that are, are, aren't such a great example of leadership. He was reluctant to lead. In fact, uh, he um, didn't as much, you know. And, but I think that that's the faith combination God is still looking for today. By faith, reluctant leaders like Danny Campbell are to lead, and by faith, the people willingly offer themselves for service, and God leads them all to victory. And I'm just so thankful to lead a church like that, you know, uh, that said, well, yeah, I will, and God can, and God will. Um, and, you know, I, I just think it's so neat to see how he's still opening doors of service for us today. And I think about my buddy Mark Hefner over there in Phoenix, you know, that's walking through an open door right now, you know. Uh, they're planning a church among the Taiwanese who are living in Phoenix, and God's getting the glory, and they're up to about 30 salvations or so so far. They're, the nucleus of a church is uh, forming, and it's just so neat. Well, by faith, God commanded, commended Samson in spite of his lust. Um, and uh, when we read the story of Samson, it mentions here, in this hall of faith, we think of, uh, you know, how he had a problem with the ladies, didn't he? You know, uh, several of the things that messed him up in life were, um, you know, just his uh, always wanting the next beautiful woman to be around. And usually it wasn't a Hebrew girl, you know. Uh, Jewish fellows were supposed to be equally yoked, not unequally yoked. And it just is a reminder um, that even though... Uh, lust and other things can mess us up and sidetrack us. Samson uh, finished strong, didn't he? There he is. The consequences of his sin cost him so much. And there he is. His eyes are put out and uh, he's lost his strength, but his hair's growing back, you know, and he's chained between the two pillars and they're not thinking about him. They're thinking, oh, he, you know, he's, he's discredited and we've made, mocked him and made fun of him, you know, and Samson says, Lord, just one last time. You know, I knew it was all about you and I made it about me and my lust and stuff. Forgive me of all that. Lord, just let, give me that strength one more time. And you know, he was able to pull down the pillars and the whole thing came down, right? And what, is this, what does the scripture say? Did he kill more Philistines in the time before that or in that very act right then? Said that very act right then, you know? And so... What I like about that is, you know, it's never too late to do the right thing, um, even if we've had other consequences come into our lives because of our sin. Uh, well, by faith, God commended Jephthah in spite of his stupidity. 
<laughs> Do you know the story of Jephthah? You know, y'all know I'm a little bit of a smart aleck sometimes, but um, years and years ago, Bruce Wilkinson wrote the book, The Prayer of Jabez. You know, and the prayer of Jabez, just a simple little prayer, and it's really a great little prayer in the middle of nowhere in the Bible. And, um, you know, it talks about Jabez doesn't want to cause any harm, and he wants to, he says, Lord, bless me indeed and enlarge my territory and all that. So it goes with kind of a prosperity way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I really like Bruce Wilkinson, but I didn't like how he let that book be marketed kind of with that, you know, if you pray this prayer, your, your tent will expand also. You'll get bigger and all those things. So I used to sarcastically say that I was going to write a book like that, but it was going to be the prayer of Jephthah. <laughs> and, and, and some of you are already laughing because you understand it. Um, Jephthah was used of God to courageously win a big battle. But do you remember what his prayer was? Jephthah said, Lord, if you give me this great victory for your glory... When I get home, I will sacrifice the first thing I see when I get there because of the great victory that you gave. And so he did. By faith, he went out and whooped the enemy. That's what Hebrews 11 is commanding, not the stupidity. But, you know, it's still the man that was stupid. You know? And uh, what was the first thing he saw when he got home? His daughter. And there are some people they can't bring themselves to believe that he actually sacrificed her uh, but it sure does look like that to me in the context. You know, she went and spent some time with friends, came back, and it looks to me like that's what happened. They try to paint it up and make it nice, but those weren't days where things were always nice. You know, Judges was a weird, wild time. And uh, so Jephthah, on the one hand, a man of great faith and victory. On the other hand, stupid, because, you know, I'm glad there was another time. I would consider that a rash vow that he shouldn't have fulfilled. There's another time King Saul was about to do a rash vow like that, you know. We've, we've obviously had somebody sin in the camp. When I find out who it is, I'll kill him. Who was it? His son Jonathan had done the very thing. Um, and uh, they talked him out of it. And I think in that case, it was good for Saul to be talked out of it. Wish Jephthah had been talked out of that vow. Well, then they talk about David. <laughs> uh, and by faith, God commanded David in spite of a lot. You know, obviously we know the big one with Bathsheba and Uriah and uh, his complicated relationship with General Joab and all those things, his later numbering of the people. Um, David did so many wonderful things for the Lord, uh, definitely showed his faith in the Lord as a child with the David and Goliath situation uh, and the way that he was used of God, uh, the faith that he had to want to build the temple, and God said, okay, I love your heart, but not you because of the, the bloodshed. But God commended David. By faith, God commended Samuel in spite of him being a mama's boy. <laughs> I just put that in, you know. Um, so I know that one's a stretch, but TGIF, thank God it's faith. Thank God it's faith. Aren't you glad it's by faith? Aren't you glad it's by faith rather than a perfect record? Uh, reminds me of the little story. A man died and he went to heaven. And this is one of those St. Peter being the guy that lets you in the gates thing, even though none of that's biblical, so don't take any theology out of it. But a man died and he went to heaven. And St. Peter met him at the pearly gate. And St. Peter said, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. 
You tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item, depending on how good it was. When you reach 100 points, you get in. And of course, we know that's not the way it works, but bear with me in the story here, the little joke. Okay, the man said, well, I, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and I never cheated on her, even in my heart. That's wonderful, said St. Peter. You get three points for that. And the man said, three points? I'm still a long way from 100. <laughs> and then he said, okay, uh, well, I attended church all my life, and I supported its ministry with my tithe and service. Terrific, St. Peter said. That's where the point. The man said, one point? Three points for the wife, one point for the church? Uh, golly, well, how about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Fantastic, St. Peter said. That's good for two more points. And the man said, two points. Uh, at this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by my faith in the grace of God. And Peter said, you get 100 points for that. Now you got it. Come on in. There you go. So, And, of course, we know that the only reason any sorry sinner, any wretch, like the song Amazing Grace says, the only reason any of us will get to go to heaven is what Christ did on our behalf. It's a 100% perfect righteousness we get when we receive Him. And then God will reward the things we've done for Him uh, by faith. If we do them even with wrong motives and for our own glory, we may get no reward for it, right? So, well, that leads us to the final point here. All these things, I'm so glad God commends us that it's by faith and not by our works or by our uh, consistency because, you know, like the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I hope it's not just me, you know, just thank God it's faith. Thank God it's faith. And sometime tonight, tell the Lord, Lord, thank you that it's faith because uh, that, that just ministers to me so much because I, you know, I, I know my own prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I know my own fickle priority systems, you know, and things. And Lord, keep on taking idols out of my life and give me opportunities to serve you by faith. You mean everything to me, Jesus, but it's amazing how much I still play in puddles. <laughs> <laughs> um, last couple verses. God's Hall of Faith is still taking inductees. Still taking inductees. And let me take the time to read verse 39 and 40 again. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Verse 40. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So, in a sense, any saint that has died and gone to heaven and is awaiting the future has already been made perfect, right? I mean, Lamar Mooneyham, oh, man. You know, he, he not, he's not worried about things that he worried about back on earth. Jimmy Hall, you know? If he gets to see and pray for things back on earth, he's going to cheer Dolores on the rest of the days. You know, Pat Harper, uh, boy, she'd love to have been here and fussed all over Dan, but Dan will be all right. You know, God's got this. And, um, you know, she wouldn't come back. Um, so in a sense, Moses, Abraham, Sarah, Lamar, uh, you know, Pat, all of them, uh, they're there. They wouldn't come back. But this is a staggering statement because it says they should not be made perfect apart from us. There is a total number of folks that are going to turn to God throughout the ages and will be with Him forever. 
And I love it how Hebrews 12 start. It pictures a race. And I don't know if any of you have either run in a 5K race, a 10K race, a marathon. Most I've run is a 10K. But I thought I did something. It felt, felt good to run that far, you know. And, um, or maybe you've been at the finish line when somebody you loved was doing that. And here's what happens. You cross the line, and if you ran with some others, you kind of collapse a minute. You're glad to be there. And then you get up and you join those clapping and cheering as the other ones come through. And in Hebrews 11, into chapter 12, we're told about this God's hall of faith of what's happened in the past. He's talking to people living in the present. And then he mentions the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. They've gone through, they've, you know, the, the tape, the first one to cross the finish line, the tape, they crossed through the line, they, and, and they've won. But then they look back and cheer on everybody else that's on their team that's finishing after that. And the author of Hebrews presents the Christian life like that. You know, Lamar got across the finish line, and in essence, he's cheering for everybody else to finish well. R.J. Barber, you know, and everybody else like that that's there. So we are connected to those who have gone before, and it refers back, this chapter, to the saints who have gone before, up around the throne, cheering us on as we live by faith. And this staggering statement says here, there's a sense, since Jesus knows everybody who would ever trust Him by faith alone for salvation, there's a sense in which it's not totally perfect until the last believer crosses the finish line. God had something better for them, the sense that everyone who's come after also made it, that turned to Christ by faith. Now, I don't really understand all that means, but I know one thing it does mean. Whether or not I live all out for God is not optional. My living all out for God is a vital part of God's plan. Because what is he going to say in chapter 12? We'll get to this in a couple weeks. He says that because they're there and because they lived by faith despite having different problems in life and stuff like that. You live by faith too. And, um, you know, and, and, and he says, because of that, he says, uh, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He finished. The saints are, have finished. We want to finish too as saints. And... Um, we're a vital part of God's plan in the present going into the future. It's our turn. It's our turn. You know, I'm glad that we stand on a great heritage here at the church. I'm glad for 2,000 years of tremendous Christian growth in the uh, world. At the day of Pentecost, how many people were saved? 3,000. You know, for decades now, 3,000 people are saved every hour around the world through gospel efforts. So there's a Pentecost every hour around the world. Think about the sun going up in different countries, you know, and as the day goes along and it just, it comes all around to us and we get our daylight hours, you know, and God works during the uh, midnight and other hours too. But uh, we're a vital part of God's plan and I'm so thankful for the different ways that we get to join God in what He's doing. So, do you believe that He is? Yes! Do you believe He rewards those who seek Him? Then we want to do you believe he's going to keep his promises? Well, then let's, like those saints of old and the saints of today, live by faith. Let's pray.
Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.